good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to the Influential You podcast. I'm your host, Josh D'Amigo, program faculty member for Influential You and the host of this weekly podcast. At Influential You, we teach you how to take charge of your career and amplify your professional influence. Since 2009, we have helped thousands of business owners, executives, and entrepreneurs to become more influential, more rewarded, and ultimately, more you. Now today, we welcome a very special guest, Michael Thomas, to the Influential You podcast. Michael Thomas is a business transformation leader with a proven track record of driving substantial savings through end-to-end improvements. With a strategic mindset, Michael utilizes a range of methodologies, including Lean, Six Sigma, Agility, and Change Management Methodologies, I'll say that again, change management methodologies to deliver multi-million dollar savings. On top of all of that, he's also an influential you consultant. I'm excited to explore a bit of his story this week as he talks about something we've all noticed about him, personal magnetism. When you hear him speak, you're going to lean in. Today, he'll tell you why. He joins us from Seattle, Washington. So if you're watching on YouTube or Facebook or LinkedIn, Subscribe, hit a thumbs up, link buttons, all the like buttons that you want, and welcome Michael Thomas to the Influential You podcast. Now, Michael, I love our story because you and I met in a really weird time in the world that probably only could happen to millennials in the middle of COVID. Uh, Can you tell me a little bit more about what your world was like before you started uh, studying with us? Yeah, it was uh, quite an interesting time. So I just started a a new position, which brought me to Seattle, and it was right in the middle of COVID. So everything was shut down, nothing was open, and I'm wondering, okay, well, how do I navigate a new environment, a new position, and not really knowing, you know, to make heads or tails of what's going on. So my best idea at the time was just to find any online networking events and just try to meet people. So I found myself on a Seattle Chamber of Commerce uh, networking event, and I encountered a person named Josh D'Amigo, the person who I'm speaking with right now. And as you were telling your story, I'm like, well, wait a minute, this person is from Ventura. How did this person find a Seattle Chamber of Commerce call? But nonetheless, I was interested in, in talking more with you. I figured, you know, what do I have to lose? I want to learn how to maximize my opportunities. And the rest is history. We can talk more about it, but that's essentially the the story that as it begun. I, and I love it too because I remember I was on the Chamber of Commerce call, and at the time you didn't know this. You may know this now that we had started a Ventura Chamber call, and I started jumping around to different major cities mm-hmm. to see what they were doing. And most of them were a couple months behind us. I, I do like to brag about that, mm-hmm. but I will say the Seattle Chamber was so welcoming, so kind, and we had some clients there. And when I got on the call, here's Michael Thomas inside of a little box. And I remember thinking, that's my guy. And I remember looking at everybody else that was on the call. And of everybody that I talked to, you were the one that I just kept coming back to to say, hey, we got to meet. Let's chat. Now, tell me about, now you just started a new position. You're in a new world. You've got all of these methodologies in front of you. You've got all of these different agile, lean, Six Sigma, and somehow you still wanted more. So tell me about your world and your career before you started studying with us? Yeah. So the training in Lean and Six Sigma and Agile, a lot of these methodologies have a very sound structure and it's it's very good to do so because if you want to make 
change across an organization. If you want to deliver multi-million dollar savings, you have to have a structure by which you can get your stakeholders to get behind. Now, within that, in some cases, you can have a framework or a methodology that may be too restrictive. And what I was finding in some instances as I was working on different projects and programs that I couldn't quite strike that balance between the adaptability that was needed with particular methodologies and the structure that was needed for certain stakeholders. And part of that was understanding the personalities that I was in dialogue with and exchange with. So some of those things were very inherent if I was talking with someone who is a performer like myself as is taught and influential you, but some other personalities I wasn't as uh, simpatico with. I didn't quite know the narratives in which they were talking through. And it was a bit of a blocker to get certain things done. So the what I was looking for was an opportunity to navigate some of those dialogues, not navigate some of those exchanges, still having that framework that's there, but also having more of that adaptability that was needed, depending on who I was in exchange with. Yeah, I love that. And I love the way that you talked about it before the show started. You, you said something to the extent of the fact that there was a, a major gap between your professional aspirations and your reality. And you'd, you'd gotten all of these certifications and you'd studied a ton. And for some reason, that education wasn't just giving you what you were aiming for. And I hear that a lot. In fact, a lot of times people will come to me with an, with an MBA and they'll say something to the extent of like, I thought getting an MBA just meant I was going to make more money. And then they're quite often disappointed when that doesn't become a reality right away. Can you talk a little bit about that feeling, where your mindset was with that? Yeah, there's a saying in the project world, there's outputs and then there's outcomes. So as you talk through, you know, folks will get an MBA or some other, you know, maybe certification or any sort of professional development. And those things are helpful, certainly, but you have to be able to tie the outputs to the outcomes. And there's often a gap there because you think, okay, once I've completed this, then the world will open up. <laughs> and that's not quite the case. You still have to find ways to be in exchange with people because at the end of the day, all those certifications and those, those degrees, what those things do is that gets you in front of the person. You still have to complete the transaction, if you will, once you're in front of that person. And you know, that person's like, yeah, so what? I have an MBA. I have this or that. So that just gets you to the table. What's, what's needed is the other skills to help navigate those exchanges to get to the aims that you want and ultimately your stakeholders want. That's really good. And I, I like that in, in a lot of different ways of being able to see things through their eyes and, and kind of take that education and turn it into knowledge, something you're actually using and doing. And I believe that's part of what happened as you started considering our program. Now, take me up into the program. You meet this guy. He's a little obnoxious. He's talking a lot about transactions and doing a lot of hand motions in Zoom. And you now are getting ready to contract for the Fundamentals of Transaction program. What were you aiming to kind of get out of the participation there? And tell me a little bit about what you learned. So what I wanted to get out of the program was better understanding of the stakeholders I was in dialogue with so that I could get to my aims, right, in terms of it's a completion of a program or a project or personally to get to a, a financial goal so that I can satisfy other aims. So that's what I wanted to get out of the program. As I was getting into the program, I learned how naive I was as it relates to understanding the transaction cycle as it's taught. So knowing that there are other people at different parts of a project or a program, or in this case, a transaction, 
that have different narratives that they're speaking from that may be in conflict with yours at that moment. And to get out of your own head and get into the other person's mind to understand where they're at is a, a very valuable skill. And it was really valuable from the training that I received to understand how that looks at different points, because they're not always the same at the beginning of a project, the middle of a project, the end of a project as it relates to the work I'm doing, but just in life. You know, the, the dialogue that you have with a family member, a friend, a coworker is not always the same at, at every point. And you have to understand where they're at to move things forward if you want a particular aim for yourself and for them. That's so good. And I've, I've got another question because the, it says in the, the notes when we were talking earlier that you had discovered that you also struggled with writing a plan for your own professional journey. And I'd love to hear more about what writing that plan was like. Yeah, I would say for myself, writing a plan was, the gap was I would have certain aspirations or certain goals, but it wasn't always a step-by-step -step process on how to get there. There are certain things that are taught in a conventional wisdom. Do this, we talked about it before, getting a degree, getting certain certifications. And the, the, from getting that to that point to getting to my aims, there was a big gap. So writing that plan, there was a lot of abstraction there. And I needed to get more into the rigor of what are the step-by-step -step processes to get me from A to B. I knew it in certain aspects, but in other aspects, I was much more blind. So it was good to have that light be shined on. This is what you're missing. This, these are the gaps in your own you know, personal and professional goals to get you there. And that was very helpful to make me understand these are not only the steps, but how you can adapt those steps as you need, because life is not, and professional life, of, of course, is not always linear. There's always variation in that. And navigating that variation helps, certainly if you have the ability to adapt, but also if you have a, a plan by which you can check against. So good. And question for you on that one, because I, I really like that. And it feels like you kind of started to build that path and started to feel like you were more in control of your career. Can you explain that a little bit more? Like maybe, maybe behind, how was that kind of in practice? Cause I, it sounds really good from like an idea perspective, but if you could paint a picture for our listeners as to what it actually feels like on a day-to-day -day basis in your world, I think that'd be really valuable. Sure. So from a very practical perspective, I would take those goals and I would convert them into measures. So for, let's say I wanted a financial goal. I wanted to make X amount of dollars by five years from now. I would then look at each month or each quarter and see what behaviors would get me into or get me closer to that financial goal. Am I moving to another position? Am I getting a promotion? Am I taking on other opportunities in the future? What are those behaviors that are necessary to get me from where I'm at in point A to that financial goal, point B. And after understanding those step-by-step -step behaviors that are necessary, you do a check every, whatever the cadence is, they'll say every quarter. All right, am I closer or further from where I'm at? And what behaviors were moving me in that right direction? And what behaviors do I no longer need to consider? Which ones do I need to now focus in on and really dial up? From there, dialing those behaviors up, you can, it's just a rinse and repeat. Now you can check against that. So now you have a framework. I have a framework and a plan to get to those goals and I can check against what I'm doing and see how far or how close I am from those things. Yeah. 
I think it's it's also kind of fascinating, and, and it's you know now five years into this study, understanding that people have a plan for everything. They have a plan for what they're going to have for dinner. They have a plan for how they're going to get their business going. They have a plan for this or that. And sometimes they think they have a plan and they don't have one, but many of them don't take the time to plan out their career trajectory or their knowledge growth or their education growth or all of the different things that you're mentioning. And so I think that's really valuable. Um, and we're going to come back in just a second. We're going to talk real quick about what happened after that. But first, we have to say that for those of you that are listening and you're thinking, hey, this sounds really good. I want to plan. Well, I want to make sure that you know that this podcast is brought to you each week by Influentially Use Self-Guided Program Thrive. The Thrive Program allows ambitious adults like Michael Thomas to develop competitive professional skills to advance their personal goals on top of their business objectives. When you join Thrive, you gain access to our proprietary tools and resources that are only available to our Thrive subscribers. You can get a better ROI than your MBA if you join us for the Influential You Thrive program. In fact, if you're listening to this and it's not live, you can use a coupon code, so pause where you're at. But if you're listening to us live, pull up another screen right now and just go to Influential You. There'll probably be, a, yeah, right there on the bottom, you can see global forward slash thrive and you type this code in. 30 days. That's 30DAYS, and you'll get a free month to try out Thrive for yourself. The link is in the show notes, and you may cancel at any time. And we'll get back to Michael Thomas right now. And Michael Thomas, this is where I think it's really fascinating because now we get to talk a little bit more about what life is like now. And with you, you're still in the process. You're, you're, you're completing the mechanics and practice program and you're about to refine things in mechanics and practice too. But I'd love to hear like what's changed. What are the things, what are the initiatives that over the last two years are now leading to the trajectory that you're going? Yeah, so I would say the biggest change for me is the combining the adaptability with the framework in my own personal life. So, you know, for, as an example, if I were to give you, hey, Josh, could you describe for me a, a vehicle that right? you might not have the, the, exact specs, the, the exact specs that you, you want to present? Well, I say, hey, Josh, describe for me a sports car. It becomes a lot more distinct and you can be a lot more creative with what you may describe. The same thing happens for me in my own career development. It, instead of just adapting to the market, I can now present myself in a way where I can create opportunities where none may have existed. And that is a big portion of what this training has given me is a plan, a way to adapt a particular plan where you have a framework and the opportunity to create within that framework. So you have distinctions within it, which will be helpful to get you those waypoints, but then it allows that creativity in between so that I can operate at my best. So that I would say is the biggest portion of the training that has helped me. And that's a, a big reason why I became an influential you consultant as well is I saw how the training has benefited me. And I certainly want to get that training out to others who I think it would benefit. And that's a big part of my development moving forward. And, and I know that when we had first talked, you'd also talked about the idea of, you know, possibly, you know, sometime you already kind of lead teams, but there's a world in which you could imagine another career or another activity for yourself. And that's part of what you kind of design in your world is to give you more opportunities. Do you feel like it's a, on a regular basis, you're able to call a shot, plan for it, strategize, get the tactics down and implement, and you're hitting things more often? Do you feel like it's 
kind of like your your way is going more often, your ideas are being heard more. Give me any kind of new information like that that you may have learned during the program. Yeah, I would say my transactions have certainly sped up a lot more. And the reason why is because I was able to slow down and understand what's really going on here. Where are we at? <laughs> is somebody asking me for an assessment? Are we planning, as you mentioned? Are we actually strategizing what we're going to do? Or are we now in tactics? So being able to say, where are we at? is the very first point that has helped me a lot. The second point is now that we're there, you can start to marshal your forces and say, okay, if we're in tactics, how do we get that particular aspect going? If we're in strategy, it's going to be a little more abstract. We haven't quite got our plan in place to really deliver. So those things, understanding those, those waypoints have been certainly helpful and being able to communicate that, not only the knowledge that I have, but being able to communicate that with others is the most important because life is a team game. You don't win by yourself. So getting others along with, with the plan that needs to be executed, I think is the biggest unlock for me in my, in my development. Yeah, during my jog this morning, I had this idea of working hard doesn't mean you have to work by yourself. Like you can still work hard in a team and you can still have a team and work hard. And it's, it's so much more fun when you're doing that as I'm doing this solo sport bored out of my mind which is why we even had this conversation is you and I uh, came to Ventura and I got to, we got to meet in real life and you know, it was super cool to get out of the Zoom screens and meet. And I noticed something about you right away and that was what we'll spend the rest of the time on, kind of what you're teaching me about personal magnetism, which is mm -hmm. something we talk a little bit about in the program, but you and I have talked about it a lot more because watching you transact with others you are a performer personality who's really good at meeting people and you know having people gravitate towards you, which is valuable in making valuable invitations and presentations. So I wanted to take a little bit of time to pick your brain on some of the things that you've picked up through the program and through your own study with all of these different processes that you've studied. Tell me a little bit about what you've learned about when you walk into a room and people stop. And to finish the story, Michael Thomas and I went to the gym. I've gone to this gym for about two years and I have never talked to a single person. I go to the gym, I lift my weights. Granted, it was during COVID. We all had masks. It was outside. But Michael Thomas is there for the first time. And by the end of his workout, I'm on the elliptical. He's talked to at least 13 people. I mean, maybe that's an exaggeration. I would guess it's probably close to three or four. But I'm watching him move and talk with, and people are walking up to him. And so I'd love to hear Michael Thomas kind of how do you operate in that world as a performer, as someone who's actively having people approach you? What is that personal magnetism that you've kind of studied about yourself? Yeah, well, as you mentioned, I'm a performer personality, much like yourself. And so we're very much people, people, right? We enjoy meeting people, interacting with them. And so for us, it's a little more natural uh, than some of the other personalities that is taught. Uh, but the good thing about this is it's a skill that can be learned. Anyone can increase their own personal magnetism from wherever level that they're at. So there's a couple components that are really key if you're talking about becoming more um, person, increasing your personal magnetism, I should say. I would say the first one is overall presence. And when it comes to presence, there's really two key components. One is the internal presence. The other is external. So we'll talk a little bit about internal presence. Internal presence is at, at its core, the relationship that you have with yourself. So a lot of that deals with self-confidence, self-awareness, emotional intelligence, 
And really, it's about managing that self-talk that we all have, right? Whatever we go into a new endeavor, sometimes that self-talk can can talk us out of something, right? Before we even start or when we're in something, that nervousness may get us off track from where we want to go. So a lot of it is really managing that that self-talk, really developing that that confidence, whatever that may look like. A big portion of this as well is overall health, because as the saying goes, you feel good and you look good and vice versa. So having your health as it, you know, as, at its maximum and then really developing that inner confidence, that inner self-awareness of where you're at and developing that emotional intelligence to manage that self-talk. So that would be the internal aspect of presence. The external aspect of presence is a lot about what people see. So that could be the, the physical appearance, as we mentioned, you know, going to the gym, um, your body language and really understanding the environment that you're in. So in the gym, in the, in the example that you use, there's a lot of activity going on. People are generally pretty, pretty animated in that environment. Now, what drew people to me, I believe, was the fact that in that environment where people are tend to be more animated, I was much more still, much more calm. So in a, in a field of people who are animated, someone who was just basically in his own world standing still, it's like, what's going on with this person? There's something I need to find out more about this person. And I could you know, that could change based on the environment that you're in. So that's just one example. In, in an environment that's a little more calm, you may want to choose to be more animated, whatever that may look like. And that's the aspect of adaptability that's important is knowing the environment and understanding where your presence is most effective based on that environment. Other things that are also important, I would say here are just having your aims in mind. So when you're in an environment, what are you looking to get out of it? right? You don't just want to be a, a bump on a log. You, if you're in there to accomplish a goal, then remember that as you go after it. So that, those would be aspects of presence I would consider as it relates to that personal magnetism aspect. Yeah. I love that. And I love it in so many different ways. There's, a, there's something that I talk to people about when they're, when they're looking at the room, what makes me valuable? And, and a lot of people, when it talks to that valuable thing, you can get into a lot of different ways, but here's how I define it. What makes you useful and scarce in this room where everybody wants what you have, but only you can give it to them. And it feels a lot like for me, when I walk into a room and I notice there's a bunch of performers where there's a bunch of people being outgoing, like I kind of like naturally adjust to either match them or uh, be the opposite if I can or, or do something there. And so I wonder if knowing kind of your value as a performer, if that helps a little bit with kind of intentionally amplifying the magnitude of that personal uh, magnetism that you have. Yeah, I would say so. The Now, as it relates to dialogue or an exchange with someone where that really starts to, to turn the volume up, so to speak, as a performer, is we're very good at narrative listening. As someone is communicating whatever's going on, we're very good at con, you know making that concise and then asking, hey, what I think I heard is X, Y, Z. Does that make sense? And really dialing in that narrative listening is really key for us as, as performers. But again, that's a skill that other personalities can also learn. You know, someone who may not uh, pay attention as much to, to that aspect, to the people component, because they're focused on standards or ideas or even getting to the work. You know, employing some more of that narrative listening is certainly helpful. Being present, of course, is a big key for this. The other key component, I would say, that helps you be more, I would say, charismatic in this aspect is treating the exchange with someone almost like an anthropologist would. If you look mm -hmm. at how anthropologists study cultures, 
they are almost insatiable in terms of their curiosity, right? They're hyper aware of everything that's going on and things that people may overlook, they're asking questions about. And sometimes it's those small questions that can unlock those doors that you're looking for in terms of accomplishing, you know, an aim that you have. So treating the exchange with someone as you're learning someone for the first time, even if you've seen someone yeah. for 20 or 30 years, treating them as someone new and asking how they are, looking at their mood, asking them questions that you wouldn't normally ask. Um, those things yeah. are extremely helpful. There's there's two things that come to mind. Um, one thing you talked about is being present. Kirkland Tibbles once in a speech said, the present is to be present in the present. Mm-hmm. And people that are kind of on that level that are with you, that you can tell that they actually care, that they're really right there with you in the conversation. Because as you and I both know, most people aren't necessarily listening. They're waiting for their turn to talk. And what I've found with you is that you're constantly checking in to make sure that what's been said is what was meant before you give a response. Anything to say about that? Yeah. So as it relates to that, I'm much more focused on what the other person has going on than I'm about myself in that moment. Now, part of that is the work that I've done prior to even being in in exchange or in that room with that person. So that's the work that I've done on my own self before I even step out of the house. The second thing is being really focused on that person just to, and, and not even looking at it from a, I'm judging this person one way or the other. You're trying to understand that person first and foremost. So to do so, you really have to pay attention to what they're saying and what they're doing. You know, if the person has a, a look on their face based on what you said or something that you did or something else that's going on, being really keenly aware of what's going on really helps you to just ask a simple question that could make the, the, all the difference in the world. Yeah. And I, I know that Ziegler and there's a lot of people that talk about asking questions and the value and importance of that skill set. I would imagine that this translates not just in the gym uh, where, you know, you're, you're meeting people at random at the bars or anything like that, but it probably does something for work. Like you may get more, you know, assignments or you may get more responsibilities. Um, perhaps there's someone that's new to management and they're looking to stick their neck out. What kind of advice would you give someone kind of in that situation? I would say regardless of where you're at, having a a humble spirit really keeps you grounded to ask questions where you might not otherwise ask because you may feel embarrassed by it. So it doesn't matter what level I'm at. I'm always going to ask questions of people around me because I want to get to the right answer. It doesn't matter if I got to it or someone else did, as long as the answer is there and we can move things forward, that is the most important part. And we said it before, life is a team game. So it doesn't matter if, you know, you are the, the person who is the, you know, the star of the game in that game, what matters is that we want it. So in, in management or in professional life, treating the, the aim, you're, of course you keep your own aims in mind, but also the aims of others, keeping those things in mind and being able to ask, doesn't matter who it is, asking that person that question to get you to that other side, right? And that's a part of the speeding up of transactions. Part of it is just asking the right question or asking a question in general. Yeah. So it sounds like a little bit of like not acting like you know more than you think you do and and kind of that and asking those right questions. But there's a flip side to it because those people that ask too many questions start to become less valuable as well. There's there's like like a balance. Right. And Mm -hmm. sometimes one of the favorite quotes that one of my teachers from high school used to say is an Abraham Lincoln quote. It's better to be thought of a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt, which I did 
all the time. I still do. And what you find is that there's this balance that you're able to hold of not just asking the questions or, you know, being a, a supportive listener, but also asserting things and also making invitations and offers and requests. I'd love to hear about what you think about that balancing act of asking too many questions, because for me, sometimes, and I really hope John isn't watching live right now, uh, mm -hmm. sometimes I will ask questions of my CEO when it's better for me to be quiet in the meeting and just take in what I'm learning. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, so I think part of it is understanding the value of questions, depending on where you're at in a particular exchange with someone. So let's say we said, hey, Josh, let's you know, go to dinner at XYZ place. And then I ask you a question an hour later. Hey, are we still going to XYZ place? The value of that question is, is not as, as great as it was before. So in a, in a professional setting, knowing, again, the environment, knowing who you're in exchange with, and then being able to process those things first, and then second, understanding where you're at in an exchange is important because in some cases, a question doesn't need to be asked. An assertion needs to be um, made. Hey, we're, we're here. I want us to go to this place. And then a question, does this make sense? <laughs> right? So it depends on where that question is. That's one. And then the second part is when an assertion needs to be made instead of a question, it's important to also make that and, and not to be afraid to do that either. Because as, as valuable as it is to ask questions, it's also as valuable to be someone who can answer said questions. So it's that's a part of the exchange. Knowing when and where to do both is extremely important and extremely valuable. That's really good. Um, now, I'm going to ask another question that's very personal. And I see uh, Sherilyn Haley D'Amigo, who I'm very, very related to, uh, wrote, you don't talk to people, Josh. Who even are you? Because, you know, I'm this outgoing critter. But for some reason, I get in the gym and I don't want to talk to anybody. Don't look at me. Maybe it's my insecurities from my weight. Uh, like maybe like I want to be skinnier because I was 110 pounds when I graduated and I'll never get back to that. Even if I do it unhealthy ways, that would be dangerous. But what what would you tell someone who maybe is in my position where it probably would be better for me not to be quite so shy in social situations and actually like kind of stand out a little bit? Is there any like things that you would say when it comes to making those invitations in you know settings that are maybe more public? First thing I say that is you'd be surprised how the self-talk that you just described happens across all of us, right? We talked about it earlier. So Matt, so that's the first thing is we're all people. We all are dealing with things and to not be afraid of those interactions or those exchanges, really. The second thing is sometimes people are interested in an in exchange or doing something with you, having a transaction with you, but they don't quite know how to articulate it. So in you approaching that person and making that imitation might help them get to something that they want to get to, but they didn't know how to express it. So instead of treating it as I'm so nervous about doing X, Y, Z, you're again, taking the, the, the self-talk that you have. And now you're focusing on the other person is you're helping them move something forward that they may not have had the ability to articulate. It's really good. Um, I'm, I'm constantly fascinated by, you know, the performer is not something that you just put in a box and like you just, you know, like now you're just stuck in a performer. There's also complexities and levels to how we transact on a natural level. And what I found in my own world is that in many cases, I am outgoing, happy to talk to people, but I'm not always on. And there are many times where either 
I'm thinking through something or something's going on in me, with me that I'm not able to kind of be that performer that I really enjoy. And I wonder, it, based on what you were talking about earlier between the internal and external um, uh, things that you're having, your presence in those two ways, if, uh, if there's a way that you naturally set yourself so that you can kind of be the best that you're going to be during the day. Is there a routine that you get in? Is there something that you do during your day to kind of project um, or bring out that performer that you're really, really skilled at and the value that you bring? Hmm. Uh, I would say in terms of my routine, that health is very important. So making sure that I get some sort of exercise in every day, that's extremely helpful for me. The other thing is being able to, on my malls that are here next to me, I have my aims and, and I always refer back to them every day. And it makes, it gives me a reminder when I step outside my door or if I'm on a Zoom call or anything along those lines, how am I moving powerfully to get to those aims every day? So that's part of my routine. So I would say health is a, a big piece. The second piece is reminding myself of why I'm doing what I'm doing, right? We can get caught up in the, the routine of doing things that we sometimes forget why we're doing it. So for me, telling myself the story of why helps me to get to the how and when I do certain things. So that's extremely important for me is that story that I tell myself. And I, I don't know if that's necessarily a performer thing exclusively, but that is something as a performer I've noticed quite a lot is we were really uh, integral at telling ourselves stories and that helps us to navigate you know, certain exchanges. Yeah. Well, for those of you on the edges of your seats to find out if my CEO was listening, he was. And here's what he wrote. Michael demonstrates an others-focused balance of being valuable and mitigating his cost. Love it. What do you have to say about that? Well, that's very high praise from John, so I appreciate him for that. <laughs> I would say in terms of value and cost, there's, there's that balance, as you mentioned earlier, asking questions, making assertions. So understanding who you're, again, who you're in exchange with, what is valuable to them and what is costly to them. And also where are you at in a particular exchange is, is very important to know because even if you're valuable in one aspect with that person in a different aspect, you may not be as much. So being very uh, keenly aware of that other person. And again, a lot of that is getting like, out of our own heads collectively and focusing on those, that other person or those other people. What do they want? What are their aims? You know what your aims are. You know what it, you know. You say it to yourself every morning or every you know whatever that cadence is. So now that you know that, now you can focus on the other people. Now you can focus on what they want, and you can have a mutual mutually excuse me beneficial exchange and you know have mutual aims be met. I think that's really valuable, and I don't want it to be understated, even though it's a little bit of a, a, a tangent. Knowing your aims is incredibly valuable for any move that you're making, especially with that inner dialogue, because once you know what you want and you start moving towards that, it just becomes easier to get yourself into those conversations because you know what your aim is. And then actually caring about that other person over on that other side and what they want is only going to be more valuable, I think. I, I think the last question that I would ask you is, how do you balance out what they want versus what you want? And, and how do you find a spot in which you're still getting your aims and not simply just being a people pleaser? Well, obviously, the, the question to ask of that person and of yourself is what are you willing to give up to reach that common aim? Because in every exchange, there's something that's going to be given up, whether it's time, money, resources, whatever that thing is. 
or you know, could be more, more than one. And so in each of those uh, questions, you have to ask yourself, what are you willing to, to give for that other person? And what is that other person willing to give you? And it could just be time. It could just be a listening ear, whatever that thing is, that will help you and that other person navigate that common name so that you can move forward. But at its cords, there's something that is given as opposed to something that's being taken away from you. So again, it's a, a mindset reset, if you will, is the giving versus the taking away. So thinking about what you're giving that person, what the other person's giving you, and then you can move forward on whatever that, that common name uh, looks like. That's really good. And he's, he's playing 3D chess while the rest of us are learning how to play checkers. Thank you, Michael Thomas. If you want to know more about Michael, get connected with him. We have things in the show notes where you can connect with him. I know he's got some events coming up in the Seattle area. And if you are interested in what he's doing with Influential You Consulting, make sure you reach out and check in with him uh, because he's going to be a force. You're going to want to be around. Trust me, if you're in the Seattle area, you're welcome for Michael Thomas. He is wonderful and you can't get enough of him. So definitely connect with him. Anything to say goodbye with us today, Michael Thomas? Uh, I love the conversation and I look forward to talking with people as they hear and listen to this, uh, excuse me, hear and see this. So I look forward to more dialogues, more exchanges and reaching our own common names. Thanks so much, Michael. We'll talk to you soon. Now, if you at home would like to know more about us, get on your browser right now and type in influentiallyu.global. There you can explore our courses, consulting and conferences. We offer a four-year curriculum for those seeking an advanced experience. This is not a flash-in-the-pan type of program. However, if you're new to Influential You and you want to get started, the best place to start is Thrive. It's our self-guided training. You've heard me talk about it before if you're on this on a regular basis. It is our self-guided program that lets you learn at your own pace. Our members enjoy weekly live e-coachings, generally with myself and John Patterson, the CEO. And we also have coaches and an ever-expanding library with faculty, thought leaders, industry experts. And you're going to get tools that will accurately assess where you are in your career and help you develop a realistic strategy, just like Michael Thomas did, to achieve your aims faster. That membership also includes chat access to our faculty, plus it's got discounts to our transformative conferences, which we just got back from. Sign up today and use that promo code you keep hearing me say, 30 days for a free 30-day test drive of our Thrive program. That code is 30 days, and you can cancel at any time. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening today. You can subscribe right now if you'd like, so you never miss one on whichever one you're looking at, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube. And each week we stream live at 2 p.m. Pacific so that you can easily share this with others. You can also subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or any place that you get podcasts. Check out our show notes for links to connect with Michael Thomas, plus links to websites, books, or any special downloads we may have talked about on today's episode. This podcast is made possible by the Influential You staff, faculty, and our members all around the world, with a special thanks to our executive producer, Tyson Crandall, our in-studio producer, Michael Teehee, couldn't do without you, sir, John Patterson, Joey Anderley, Daryl Anderley, Paul West, and Liz Smiley. And again, a special thanks to our guest and my friend, Michael Thomas. The Influential You podcast is produced by Influence Ecology, LLC, in Ventura, California. And this episode was recorded on July 26th, 2023. The podcast theme is by Chris Dandring, entitled Fast Train to Everywhere. And if you haven't yet offered a rating or review, what are you waiting for? Go review something. 
We want to hear what you're doing. Tell me what's happening. We ask that you take a moment, go on iTunes or your podcast app, and let us know what you think. This helps our podcast and myself more than you know. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time on the Influential You Podcast. Thank you.